Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Well, good evening. Welcome to Grace Community Church. I'm Pastor Brooks. I'm the lead pastor of Grace here. And my wife and I uh, attend here downtown every week. Some of you are like, hey, two weeks in a row. That's really unusual. It's penance because I was gone for three weeks and Jason preached for me multiple times in the North Liberty campus. So this is just giving him a break. So Jason, thank you for uh, all your hard work and and subbing for me while I was gone. So last week, one of the verses we looked at, we opened with this text, was John 3.16. It's probably the most well-known verse in the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's a bedrock foundational verse for, for those of you who are followers of Christ, who have placed your faith in him. And for those of you who are considering what does it mean to follow Christ, it is nonetheless a bedrock verse. It essentially, it's, it's God demonstrating and declaring that, listen, I, I love my creation. I love mankind. But mankind has rebelled. And we have fallen and we've fallen in sin and we've, we've been separated from God because of our sin. But God in his love pursues us becomes man, takes the sin of the world upon himself, is crucified on a, on a Roman cross, is buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rises again and conquers sin and death. And he appeared to Mary, the other women, Peter, John, the rest of the apostles, his brother James, and to more than 500 people at various times before he ascended into heaven. And, and the question for those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, and the question for some of you who are considering, what does that even mean to to place my faith in Jesus? The question is, well, what next? What do I do if I should place my faith in Jesus? If I should trust him and receive a pardon for my sins? If I should trust him and receive not only a pardon from your sins, but also receive the, the implantation, the gift of the Holy Spirit that takes up residence in our hearts, that causes us to, the Father to look upon us and see not, not sinners lost in shame, but see his own adopted children with the righteousness of Christ imputed to them. So that's what the Father sees when he looks at you if you're a follower of Christ. So what next? What next? Well, what next? Right before he ascended into heaven, Jesus gave the, the great commission. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. So what Jesus is saying here is I want you to be my disciples. A disciple is an apprentice. Someone who puts themselves under the leadership of someone else so that they can become like that someone else. So Jesus says I want you, an apprentice, my apprentice, to go out and I want you to find other people all over the world and I want you to call them to follow me so they can become my apprentices. And so then as they follow me, they can become like me. They can obey everything that I've commanded. So being a, a disciple is someone who, who becomes 
progressively more and more like Christ so that it is more and more natural to do the things that he commanded. And you're going to see four disciples after the service take the polar plunge in baptism just outside in the front porch there. And this is a beginning for them. This is a declaration from them to you. I'm following Jesus and I want to be made like him. You say, well, what does that mean to be made like him? When he says, obey everything that I commanded, what does that mean? Well, he was asked the question, Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, a scribe, uh, a teacher of the law, came to him and said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind and your strength. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. That's the umbrella. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? It's someone who is, as an apprentice of Jesus, is being empowered by the Holy Spirit to learn to love well. To learn to love, not just well, but love as Jesus loved. And then you look at yourself and you think, that's something I aspire to. For those of you who have been following Jesus for, for quite some time, you recognize that, that that goal, that loving like Jesus loved, is, a, is, a, is an aspirational goal, but you fall so far short of that. I want to love my family well. I want to love my brothers and sisters in Christ well. I want to love my neighbors well. I want to love my enemies well. But here's the reality. While that is an aspirational goal, and it is something that we are called to, and Jesus says, I'll empower you to do this, the reality, the reality is that my default mode and your default mode is self-advancement, not self-sacrifice. It's self-protection, not self-vulnerability, where we give ourselves to others. Everything in my flesh screams, stop with the loving others well. Just take care of yourself. But as I am having Christ formed in me, the old is put away and the new is coming to bear. So how do we change? How do we change? The recognition that here's what the scriptures say about me loving well and us loving well. And then I look in the mirror and I see the reality of someone who falls short of that. How do I become that kind of person as an apprentice or or disciple of Jesus? Well, it begins with prayer. We're going through a series, and yes, it is an acronym, BLESS. It begins with prayer. And then it's followed by listening and eating, which is a good thing, because I like to eat, and so do you. And serving and sharing. And then we're going to follow that up with an application, a broader application. What does that look like for the nations? But it does begin with prayer. Three things that we're going to look at uh, this evening is we're going to observe, we're going to take a look as an apprentice of Jesus, someone who's a follower, you have to watch the one you're under. You have to study what they do. If you want to become like the person you're under who's discipling you, and if you're a plumber, if you're an electrician, you watch someone else do what you don't know how to do. So we're going to observe, we're going to take a look at how Jesus prayed. Then we're going to seek to understand what God does when he prayed and what God does when we pray. But here's the thing. Apprenticeship or discipleship falls short when all we do is observe and intellectually understand how it works. There must be a doing. 
There must be a practice. You got to get your hands dirty. You got you to get in there. You got to mix it up. You got you to do it. So we're going to watch what Jesus did. We're going to understand what it, what it is, what, it, what prayer does. And then we're going to look at some practical steps that we can begin to practice so that it becomes natural for us to obey all that Jesus commands. Father, we come to you and we absolutely are completely dependent on you. We're completely dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit. Apart from you, Jesus, you said we can do nothing. And so we acknowledge that and we are asking you, Spirit, to fill us, to make your scriptures um, applicable, understandable. Spirit, do the work in us. Change us. Make the kind of people who love well. You called us to love one another, and by that, all men would know that we are your disciples. And Lord, we want to become those people. We want to become that group of people that that is unified, that loves each other well, and even loves our enemies. Lord, that's not natural, but it is supernatural. So we're asking for you to bring about a supernatural transformation. Use the preaching of the word, the baptisms, the testimonies to bring glory to you this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first of all, observe. Take a look at Jesus' example. So it won't be on the, on the screen here, but open your Bibles or your Bible app to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. So in Luke chapter 11, Luke records, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now a little group participation um, now, usually when I ask you to raise your hand, it's always a trick question and you never want to play along. So this is not a trick question. It's just, it's just interaction here. So when, 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 they, when Luke records that the, that the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, why do you think, what are some possible reasons? And there's multiple answers, by the way. There's not just one right answer. Why do you think his disciples are asking him, teach us to pray? What do you think? Don't everybody answer at once, but I'll wait. Yes. Because they want to know how to pray. Okay, absolutely. They want to know how to pray. What else? Yes. Okay, he's demonstrated himself to be really good at it. Okay, so they want to know how, and they think he's really good at it. Anything else? Wow, gosh, North Liberty, a lot more people. People were just belting out. It's like a competition to who can say the most things. So, yes, one more. Okay, yeah. There's competing views on on how you go about praying. Remember, what did they say? As John, John taught his disciples, so there's, everybody's a disciple of somebody, and all of these different leaders may have a different interpretation or, or they may pray differently. And so, okay, John taught us to pray because some of them were actually formerly John's disciples and now they're Jesus' disciples. And so all of those are good answers. But one of the answers, uh, or one of the, one of the things I want you to notice is because they saw him praying. They saw, Jesus was praying and they saw him praying. And they saw him praying, which he demonstrated himself to be an expert in prayer, but not just the exer, exer, expert in the exercise of prayer, but they saw that when Jesus prayed, stuff happened. 
when he prayed, he was unlike the other scribes, unlike the other teachers of the law. He had power. People were healed. People were blessed. Uh, His teaching brought power. So when he prayed, things happened. There was power there. And they associated that power with his prayer. So they are asking him to pray. So they saw him pray. He was always praying. A couple of examples. This is just a, a skimming of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus Going into his public ministry, before he went into his public ministry, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Now, it doesn't say in Matthew, Mark, or Luke that he prayed for 40 days, but what did he do for 40 days? He fasted. When you fast, you always pray. Prayer and fasting go together. And Matthew, on the greatest understatement in the New Testament, said after 40 days of fasting, he was hungry. That's a natural course of events. Now, many people will look at that and they think because he was hungry, because he was potentially weakened from his lack of food, he was vulnerable to attack from the enemy and that's when the enemy came. I think it's the exact opposite. I think Jesus went into the wilderness led by the Spirit to be tested by the enemy and in order to be strong on that moment, he fasted and prayed for 40 days. Then he faced down the enemy, rebuked him, and entered into his public ministry. And then, during his public ministry, he would go into this town or this city or he'd be in the wilderness and people would come out to him and he was always healing, he was always teaching. He never turned anyone away and he was pouring himself out into the lives of others. But he often, Luke chapter 5, verse 16, withdrew into desolate places so that he could pray. He got away from people so he could be alone with his heavenly father because he needed that for his own sanity, for his own wisdom, for his own direction, for his own refilling, and also for intercessory prayer for others that he would come in contact with. So he withdrew often to pray. Before he chose the 12 as apostles, it says in in Luke chapter 16 that he went up on a mountain and prayed all night long. Long And then when he came down off of the mountain, he called the 12 to himself to follow him and commissioned them as his apostles. And then in Mark chapter 9, the disciples uh, are confronted by a, a father with a son who has a demon. And they say, please help my son. And they couldn't. In fact, they were actually accosted and beaten up. And, and physically roughed up by the demon, the demon-possessed boy. Jesus comes on the scene. He comes down with James, John, and, and he says, what's going on? We can't, we can't take care of this. And the father talks to him and says, my son's demon-possessed. And then he casts the demon out. Now later in Mark chapter 9, the disciples say, why couldn't we cast out the demon? Other times they had gone out and Jesus had told them, I grant you authority to heal, to preach the gospel, the good news, and to cast out demons. And they were able to. This time, they weren't. They said, why not? Jesus said, this kind comes only out by prayer. Again and again and again, his disciples see our master gives himself to his heavenly father and he prays. And when he prays, he receives power and it's unleashed and the kingdom of God is advancing. So it is only a matter of of course that they say, teach us, teach us to pray teach us to pray. So what did he pray? So they ask him in in Luke chapter 11, 
teach us to pray. So what did he say? In response, he gives them the Lord's Prayer. Now there's two versions in the New Testament, in Matthew version and Luke's version, and they are similar, but Matthew's version is a little bit more detailed. Now, they're not different. You say, well, why would Jesus give them two Lord's prayers? Because the Lord's prayer is a template. He's, he taught on various occasions, many, many times, on the subject of prayer, and Luke records one time he taught on prayer, and Matthew records another time that he taught on prayer. They're two different occasions. So we're going to take a look at Matthew's version. It's a little bit more detailed. And this is the content. When he says, they say, teach us to pray. He said, okay, this is how you pray. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Now this is a summary. It's a flyover. It'll be very quick. We're not going to depth in any one of these points. We've had, uh, you can look in our archives. We've done sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, where each one is a separate sermon and a separate teaching. This is just an overview. So he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. First of all, he addresses him as, as father. So it assumes, it assumes that all of us together are the children of God, not by birth, but by new birth, but by new birth. Because we have received Christ, if you have received Christ, you've been given the right to call him father because you've been adopted as his child. And so we call him our father. And he says, hallowed be your name. That means may your name be made holy. So well, wait a minute. I thought God already was holy. How does my prayer make God more holy than he already is? It doesn't. We don't make God holy. He is as holy as he's going to get. He is perfect. So what does it mean to hallow his name? It means that we pray that God's name would be perceived to be what it is. It is holy, but it's not treated as if it's holy in the world. So what, what Jesus is saying, pray that your father's name would be lifted up, that it would be exalted, that it would be made famous, and that it would be seen as beautiful, majestic, holy, and wonderful. And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we look at the scriptures and we look at Jesus, his ethic, his, his, his law, his perfect law of love, and then we look at our own selves in the mirror and we say, it doesn't match up. Or we look at what we see in our families. It doesn't match up. We look at in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our, in our culture. It doesn't match up. And we see certainly in our world, there's brokenness everywhere. And we see what Jesus called us to. And, there, and there's just this gap. What Jesus is saying is, that, is if you want to see your Father's name made holy, that you pray his kingdom would come, that his will would be done in every single sphere of our lives as it would be as if there were no sin in the world. And start right here with me. Start right here. May your will be done. I'm going to draw a 12-inch circle and I'm going to stand in the middle of it. Lord, would you bring your kingdom within these boundaries and make me the kind of person who loves well. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, if I'm going to do your will, if I'm going to love well, I'm going to need to eat real, literal food. I need a roof over my head. I need a job. I need tangible provision. I need bread. But I also need spiritual bread. I need spiritual nourishment. I cannot do your will. I can't love others as you love me unless you supernaturally give me your spiritual food and nourishment. So it's a call for sustenance. It's a call for sustenance. And then he says, and forgive us. Forgive us our, uh, uh, our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Invariably, as we seek to 
to live out his kingdom ethic, we, we look in his word and we say, I fell short again. Today I fell short again. And so we come to him, we say, Father, forgive us my debts, forgive me my sin. And Lord, help me to forgive others who sin against me. To love as you loved me. The greatest demonstration of love is Jesus took our sins and has given us forgiveness. So Lord, help me to forgive others in the same way that I have forgiven. And then lastly, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus said, as sure as there is a God in heaven and he is your father, there is, a, there is an enemy, an enemy of your souls, and he will seek to trample you, to kill you, to destroy you, and to cause you to fall away from Christ and to turn away from the living God. Deliver us from temptation and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a recognition that I cannot stand in the strength and the power of the Lord without the strength and the power of the Lord. So God, help me to stand under whatever temptation comes my way. Okay, so that's what he prayed. We see that he prayed, and here's the template. Here's the template. So let's understand what does God actually do with prayer? What does he do with... Now this, this could be... Uh, well, this is a whole lifelong study in and of itself. So we're not going to really get to the root of this in the next 20 minutes. But let's just take a dive in here. Two points. First of all, prayer changes those who pray. Prayer changes those who pray. It changes our heart's desire. When you begin to pray and you use the Lord's Prayer as a template, or you just begin to read the Scriptures, and as you're reading the Scriptures, you are interceding, and you're saying, Lord, make me that person, make me that person, your heart will eventually change. How many of you have been following Christ for, I don't know, maybe six months or maybe 60 years, and you've noticed that as you have followed Christ and as you have come to Him and said, Lord, would you work in my life that you desire things you never desired before, that you never thought you would actually want to do? Anybody? I, I keep a prayer journal, and the reason I keep a prayer journal is not because I'm ultra-spiritual. It's because I can't pay attention. When I try to pray without, a, without writing it down, my thoughts just kind of go here, here, and here. So when I write, I'm very focused. And essentially, I just basically write God letters. I tell him what, I, what, I, what I'm asking him to do, and I'm asking him to search my heart. I can go back in 2005 and see what I was praying back then. I don't, I don't do that ever, but I did over, so when I got over with my sabbatical, I looked over my last three months and I looked at what I prayed. Typically what I find myself praying when I look back in my old journals is this, God, I'm reading in your word, this is who you call me to be, I'm not there, I need your help. I want you to make me that person in so many areas. I am asking him to intercede in my life, and he's changing me. I, I desire to do things and sacrifice myself in ways that were unpalatable to me in the years past. He changes those who pray. How many of you have been mad at someone before? Anybody? Everybody, right? How many of you have continued to be mad at someone, even though, okay, I should let this go, but you still are? How many of you have, that has become bitterness? You could stop raising your hand now. Now it's just all, let's be quiet here. But... Here, what happens? What happens when you, when you, angry at someone because they hurt you, they sinned against you, and they didn't even say where they're sorry, they won't even acknowledge that they hurt you. How many of you, as you actually practice what Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you begin to pray for them, and you begin to pray for them, how many of you experience that God begin to change your disposition towards your enemy? 
You can't continue to be bitter at someone you are interceding for. The Holy Spirit will change your heart right in the midst of it. So he'll change the heart of the person who prays. He'll also change the trajectory of your life. When you invite Jesus to come into your life and then guide your life, he'll he'll guide your steps and he'll use you in ways you never thought you could be used. I love this story which is retold in, in, uh, in in, in the Bless book, which this series is loosely based on. We stole the acronym. Nothing else from that book is actually in the sermon, except this illustration. It's a good one. It tells the story of Beth Moore. Beth Moore is a, a women's uh, a Bible teacher, very, very gifted teacher, and she's been around for a while. I actually heard this story years ago when my wife went through this uh, Bible study, I don't know, 20, 15 years ago. And there's a story where she said, I, I would often come before the Lord and say, Lord, how do you want me to be used today? And she would submit herself, and then she would ask the Holy Spirit to show her if there was anyone she was supposed to interact with, maybe share Christ with or serve in some way. And so she's just submitting herself to the Lord, and she's in an airport, and she says, Lord, how do you want to use me today? And then she sees him, and she says, Lord, no. I don't want to witness to the old man in the wheelchair. Now, here's what she heard. It's not an audible voice, but here's what she heard. The Lord said, I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to comb his hair. How many of you are feeling awkward at this moment? So in obedience, she walks up to this old man whose hair is all over the place in a wheelchair and she kneels down before, or she doesn't kneel, she bends down before him and she looks in the eye and she says, Sir, would you give me the honor of brushing your hair? To which he looked at her with a quizzical look and said, If you want to. <laughs> and in her, in her mind she was thinking, There's nothing I would rather not do than r- brush your hair right now. At this point, everyone in the terminal is staring at her, thinking, who is this lunatic woman accosting this man wanting to brush his hair? And she says, there's only one problem. I don't have a a, a brush or a comb. He reaches into his bag, and he pulls out a hairbrush, and he hands it to her. And she begins, begins to brush his hair. And she, she's lost in, in the fact that there are, it's a public place and the only people that she's aware of is this man herself and the spirit of Jesus Christ. And she gently combs away every tangle, every, every rat's nest in his hair and it becomes silky smooth. And she stops and she leans forward. She says, sir, Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? And he says, yes, I do. My wife and I have been following him for decades. I haven't seen my bride in six months because I had open heart surgery. And today I get to see my bride for the first time. And all day long, I've been thinking my hair's a fright. How am I going to see my wife? Do you understand that God not only knows every hair on your head, but he actually wants it combed? In the sense that he actually will provide someone to show that kind of love to you? And do you know that he potentially wants to use you to show that kind of love to someone else? If only we would simply come before him and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? 
Some of you are thinking, that's exactly why I'm not going to ask him because I am not brushing some old man's hair in an airport. Okay, that, that, that example's on the edge. Or, or is it though? So it changes our trajectory. It changes the people who pray. It also changes those who are prayed for. It also changes those who are prayed for. How many of you are here today in the sense that you are a Christ follower because someone prayed for you? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, it's just because you don't know that they prayed for you. The first time I went to Grace Community Church was the second church I'd ever gone to. My girlfriend, who is now my wife, brought me along. It's Grace. Back when we were in Coralville. It's a very small church. It was the winter of 1988, January. And the pastor happened to be a wrestling fan, and he was at a wrestling meet that I competed in the week before, so he recognized me. And so after the sermon, I probably didn't understand anything he said. It was vaguely interested, interesting to me, but didn't knock me off my feet or anything. But we talked, and mostly it was all about wrestling. And, and so then I walked out to the car, and my, my, uh, my girlfriend kind of just kind of let me walk. And then she kind of went back to the pastor and said, he's not saved. And Keith, the pastor, said, we'll work on him. We'll pray for him. I gave my life to Christ three months later. I guarantee you, in the class of 1985 in Newton, Iowa, I was not voted most likely to preach the gospel. But prayer changes the hearts of men. I don't understand how it works. If you were looking for me to give you a theological exposition on how the the convoluted, puny utterances of, of corrupt human beings moves a holy, sovereign God, I have no idea. I just know that my Savior says, do not grow weary in prayer. Often at Grace, we, uh, we do short-term mission trips, and short-term mission trips are opportunity for people to step outside of their culture and step way outside of their, cult, their comfort zone and, and be used of God in a different context that they're not used to. And one of the mission trips that we do on a regular basis is people go to Haiti on a medical missions trip, but also uh, interact with people and do counseling and, and just do evangelism. And so on one of these trips, not that long ago, maybe five years ago, um, uh, the people that were there, they were, they were praying, Lord, uh, we're praying for the people that we're going to interact with. We're also praying that you would show us how you want us to use us. It's interesting that, that when we go on mission trips, that that's when we start praying those prayers. If any of you have been on a mission trip, you, and that's what you do, and yet before you went, it's unlikely that you had that kind of intensity in terms of prayer. You may. And if so, good for you. But so these individuals are praying this. And, and two guys, two guys, Jeff Shanks and Kevin Wall, they're, they're going door to door. They're just interacting with people. And they're praying as they're going. And, and they come to, this, come to this door with their interpreter. And they knock on this door. And this Haitian woman opens the door. She says, oh, hello, how are you doing? All 
through interpretation, interpreter, and he said, come in, I've been expecting you. That's odd. They didn't announce they were coming. And they come in, and, and as they're talking, the woman says, I've been expecting you. How were you expecting us? I had a dream last night that two white men were going to come to my house today and tell me good news. What is it you want to tell me? And they shared the gospel. And she came to Christ. Would that have happened had they not prayed? I don't know. But it happened. God goes before us when we pray to prepare people's hearts. God changes our hearts as we pray, but he also changes the hearts of the people that we pray for. My family history is interesting. My mother was not a follower of Christ, and my grandmother was not a follower of Christ. But my great-grandfather was a follower of Christ. He gave his life to Christ in a tent revival meeting in 1918. And I know that he prayed for his grandchildren, my mom and my aunt. And I know that he prayed for his great-grandchildren. I have memories of Grandpa McCown taking me fishing. He died when he was 83 years old in 1983. And I didn't know this until after I became a Christian, but he prayed regularly for all of his great-grandchildren. And all of my cousins and I are all followers of Christ, even though our parents didn't raise us in a Christian home. But my mom became a Christian, my aunt became a Christian, and his daughter, my grandmother, she became a Christian in 1991. After he had died. I don't know that his prayers were the cause of all of our salvations. But I do know that God says, do not grow weary in prayer. And that your prayers matter. So, that's what God does through prayer. But so far, all we've seen is the example of Jesus' prayer and the power of, G- of the prayer. It, theoretically, that's not discipleship. Now, the problem, I think, with the church, and I'm guilty of this, is that that's where we stop. We teach what Jesus did. We teach why it is the way it is and what the Bible says. And then we pray and we all go home. That's not an apprenticeship. An apprenticeship involves doing it. Doing it. So practice. Identify steps for growth. I'm going to guess. I'm going to go out on a limb. And if I said, how many of you feel inadequate in your prayer life? Probably all of you would raise your hand to a certain degree. Now, some of you are prayer warriors, but you feel like you could pray more. And you could, because Paul says pray without ceasing. So all of us have room for growth. So hopefully what we're going to do now is identify some steps, some very practical steps that each one of us can take so that we can begin to grow together to become people who pray and people who experience the Lord's power in their lives and see him work in their own community. So first of all, be intentional. Be intentional. Choose a time and choose a place every single day to pray. Some of you are like, oh, I prefer spontaneity. That's a great idea, but it ain't going to happen. 
It, it doesn't work that way. We have some very, very gifted musicians in this room. And uh, when, when a gifted musician, musician jams and they kind of go freestyle, they, they start going all over and so forth. Do you know why they're able to do that? Because they scheduled a time and they scheduled a place to perfect their discipline so that they could be spontaneous later. That's how spontaneity works. Yes, pray unceasingly, but start sometime tomorrow morning. Now, if you are not used to praying for extended periods of time, start small. If you read a biography and you say, oh, Luther started at 4 a.m. and he prayed until 8, you'll never get past 4.15. You probably won't even get up. Okay, so how many of you have ever done the, uh, the, the Couch to 5K app? It's a running app. Anybody? Okay, the principle is this. The principle is this. We're slugs. We've never done anything physical in our lives, but we want to sign up for the stupid 5K. How do you do it? Well, here's how not to do it. Don't put on your running shoes and go run 5K because you'll be sore. Your, your, your muscles will break down. You're, you don't have any endurance. So the Couch to 5K app works this way. It says, okay, Jog 100 yards, now walk for 200 yards. Jog 100 yards, now walk for 200 yards. Until you reach one mile or uh, uh, 1K and then collapse in a pool of exhaustion. Okay? And then it stretches that out. Your running increases and your jogging decreases and the distance increases. But it's gradual. It's over time. And all of a sudden you're like, I just ran a 5K. I didn't think I could do that. They also have couch to marathon apps too. Very few people can just set out and say, you know, I'm going to run 26 miles. But most people, if they gradually train for it, could probably do it. But that's the thing. You got you to ease into it. But you got to set a time and a place. So don't start tomorrow morning and, and pray 26 miles. Just 10 minutes. 10 minutes. I'd also encourage you to use a guide. Start with a guide. Most people don't know what to pray. That's why Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. You could pray it rote, word for word. That's not a bad thing. But I would rather encourage you to use it as a template, as, as bullet points, and then pray off of that as the Spirit leads. Or just pray through the Scriptures. If you're reading through the book of Ephesians. Pray through Ephesians. As Paul is saying, do this and be this. Say, I don't know what that means. Make me that person. Use the scriptures as, as your guide. Use the scriptures as your guide. And then I would also encourage you to, to pray together. Oftentimes when I'm talking to brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it is uh, in the North Liberty campus or, 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 uh, or here or wherever, or, or even out in public when, they're, when it's people that are not Christians, and they, they share a burden with me, something that they're going through, uh, I'll just put my hand on the shoulder. Can I pray for you? Most people will, are thrilled that you, that you ask that question and will say, absolutely. Even those who don't share your faith, they might think you're an absolute lunatic for believing what you believe, but they'll think, they sure are a nice lunatic. I'll take your good vibes and your thoughts. It's an expression of love, right? And so I'll just pray for them right there. I never tell some, well, never is an absolute word. I rarely tell someone, I'll pray for you. Why not? Not because I'm a horrible person, but because I know myself well enough to know the moment their face is gone from my side of, side of, side of field of vision, I'll forget what they asked me to pray for. I won't pray for them if I don't do it then. 
And what that does is it cultivates a, 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 a normalcy of prayer. That that's just what you do. You intercede for people right then when they need it. So pray with them. And ask people to pray for you. Could you pray for me? I'm going through this. I'm experiencing that. I'm nervous about this. Invite other people to intercede for you, to call out to their Heavenly Father that He might empower you to go through whatever you're facing. A very practical set of homework, an assignment, if you will. Assignment, if you will, is I'm I'm encouraging you to write your own psalm. A psalm is a prayer. When you go through the book of Psalms, you're reading a prayer book. You say, I'm a terrible writer. It's not going to be published. The goal is not for you to show everyone else. The goal is for you to cultivate the discipline of prayer. The discipline of prayer. And here's here's some scriptures that you can begin with. Start with Matthew 28, also Matthew 22, 36 through 40. That's the great commandment. Uh, And then also the Lord's Prayer there. And write out your own psalm. It's a, tell the Lord the description of the kind of person you think he wants you to be, but you're not yet, right? That's, that's, that's what it is. And ask him to make you that person. Here's three guiding bullet points that'll help you to do that. Lord, who do you want me to become? If you're gonna be an apprentice of Jesus, a disciple, he's going to say, I want you to become like me, but Ask him to show you specifics. Who do you want me to become? Second, who do you want me to bless? Lord, who have you put in around my life that you want me to sacrificially love? And third, how do you want me to bless them? Some of you are like, oh no. That's going to lead to hairbrushes and airports. You know what? It might. It might lead to something like that. It might lead to something even more risky. It might lead to you sacrificially giving yourself and going overseas in foreign missions. Or it might mean that you seek an academic career and become a professor here at the University of Iowa, and you pour into the life of your undergraduate students, and you bless them. But I'll tell you what it means for sure. It will mean whoever God has placed in your life, he wants to use you as an instrument in his hands to show those people that there is a God, and that God is a God of love. Now, as we close... If you're like me, you'll get up tomorrow and you'll run your 5K and you'll find out you can't do it and you fail and you pull a hamstring. And you're going to think, I knew I couldn't do it. I'm going to fail just like I always do. I'm going to screw it up. I'm not cut out to be an apprentice. I'll never be the person I want to be. Anybody resonate with that kind of, dang it, Romans chapter 7, wretched man that I am. Let me give you the most important prayer you need to understand, and it's not your prayer. It's not what you pray tomorrow. It's not what I pray in the next couple minutes here. 
the most important prayer that you need to understand is the prayer that Jesus prayed for you. On the night that he was betrayed, when he was in the garden, when he told his apostles to, to watch and pray before the, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, they fell asleep within minutes. And he began to pray for them. And, and John records what he prayed. And Matthew records what he prayed. And and, and, but John's prayer is called the high priestly prayer. It's his intercession for, for his sleeping disciples and for those who would believe. And he says, Father, I pray that they would be one as we are one. And that by their unity, the whole world would know that you sent me. And Lord, I pray that you would protect them from the evil one as they remain in this world. And I pray not only for them, but I pray for those who are going to believe in my name through their testimony. I pray that they too would be made one. And I pray that you would sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. I pray that you would set them apart. I pray that you would empower them. I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would use them. And do you know who he was praying for in the garden? He was praying for the people that are sitting in old brick right now in this room. And he had you in his mind's eye when he was praying that. And then he went to the cross. And then he rose from from the grave. And then he ascended into heaven. And do you know what he's been doing for the last 2,000 years in heaven? At the right hand of his father? He has been interceding for you. By name. And one thing is absolutely irrefutable. When Jesus prays, he gets what he asks for. And you as his child, he is praying for your sanctification. That you would be able to love like he loves. So when you fail, get back up and don't grow weary in prayer. Because God will see it through to the end. And you will be made like your master. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gift of eternal life in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of prayer. That you actually hear our prayers and that you actually seek to give us good things. Lord, we are asking for you to be glorified through us. For you to pour out your grace on us. That we might love well and that you might be glorified because of that. In Jesus' name, amen.